moving through some scripture here, several different passages this morning. And so uh, if you uh, don't want to uh, flip back and forth, or if you uh, just get tired of flipping back and forth, that's okay too. Uh, then just jot down the references for your study. Uh, on, uh, you can go back and look at those. Um, and uh, what's that, Cindy? You have notes? Okay, right. Um, so let's see here. Turn in your Bibles, please, to the epistle of 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 3 through 5 here this morning, Lord willing. We've uh, spent the last several weeks weeks looking at verses 1 and 2 about all that God has done for us in uh, salvation. So just look at that again. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, right? We looked at that word, uh, that are scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and uh, I'm sorry, Bithynia, or yeah, anyway, who are chosen I'm having a brain freeze today. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. Well, we unpacked all of that last week and really talked about what a, what a special blessing it is that all God has done for us. Uh, even before time began, God knew us and, uh, and elected us. And uh, it's an amazing thing. An amazing thing. So we looked about that. Uh, God the Father sanctified. We are set apart, made holy through the work of the Holy Spirit to obey Jesus Christ. Obedience is the mark of uh, the proof, if you will, of our salvation. Uh, and then uh, be sprinkled with his blood. Again, we are in a new covenant now with Christ. In uh, Anyway, so that's what we uh, spent some time on the last several weeks, kind of unpacking. That's very, very uh full of theology. So today we look and we're going to look at verses three through five. And so let's just uh, look at those together here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for our salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You know, one of the frustrating things that happens uh, for counselees as I meet with them and they share their struggle is after they share their particular struggle, I'll often say, praise the Lord. Now, that's about the last thing you want to hear when you're going through hard times and a very difficult struggle is someone telling you to praise the Lord. And yet, when the Spirit of God inspired Peter to write to these suffering Christians, after his opening greeting that we've been looking at the last couple of weeks, the first thing he does is burst forth in praise. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. How insensitive, Peter. These people are hurting. How could he do such a thing? Well, Peter's goal here is not to be insensitive, but rather to remind his followers here, if you will, or his fellow believers, that because of all that God has done for them in verses 1 and 2, they have been born again to a living hope, and they have an inheritance reserved for them in heaven. He wants to kind of shift that focus for a minute and say, I know you have a lot going on right now, and you do. 
But I want you to stop for just a second and think about eternity. I want you to put your eyes there for a minute. Well, maybe you're sitting there thinking, as some of these did then, you know, if you knew, Pastor, the things I'm facing, if you if you knew all that I'm dealing with right now, you wouldn't be so quick to say that I should praise God because someday I'll have an inheritance. I need help right now. Maybe you're being treated unfairly at work because of your views. Maybe you've been overlooked for promotion, perhaps even ostracized because of your testimony before the Lord. Maybe you're facing some severe financial problems. Maybe you have a, a spouse that is making life difficult for you. Maybe you've even lost a good friend who turned against you without explanation and now speaks ill of you behind your back. Many believers have problems that have multiplied to the point where they feel overwhelmed. Whether they are emotional or physical or even spiritual problems, some may be even facing the possibility of death. But what I've just described to you is exactly who Peter is writing to in this letter, incidentally. Christian slaves were being treated unfairly by their masters, even though they had done no wrong. We'll see that in chapter 2. Christian wives were being mistreated by their unbelieving husbands in chapter 3. Many of the believers had lost former friends who now were slandering them. We'll see that in chapter 2 and chapter 3 and chapter 4. Some were being threatened. And it's likely that some of them were even facing the possibility of death or martyrdom. In chapter, we'll see that in chapter 3 and chapter 4. This is exactly who Peter is writing to. These were their problems. Peter knew all about these problems, and yet he proclaimed to them, Blessed be the God who has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Peter wants to remind them of the joy of their salvation. He wants them to stop for a second and quit focusing on everything that's happening right now and just reflect for a moment about the joy of their salvation. Why is it that he wants to remind them of the joy of their salvation? Why have so many lost the joy of their salvation? Why, why have so many of us lost our praise and instead are walking around? in this sad, depressed, angry, complaining about the events in our life. And unfortunately, I believe many professing Christians have bought into this errant, this errant theology that puts the emphasis on the here and now rather than the, our, etern our eternal salvation. We're so caught up with what's happening now. What can Jesus do for me today and I'll worry about the other stuff when it gets closer to my death. But that's exactly the opposite of what Peter is saying here. He's saying your eternal perspective is what carries you through your trials today. Unfortunately, there are many who are professing Christians for what it can do for them now. Heaven is a bonus, yes, yes, but they want the good life now. And if Christ isn't going to give it to them, well then, maybe they should shop somewhere else. 
They came to Christ because they heard that God had a wonderful plan for their lives. But what they didn't understand is that God's plan often means you're going to reach the richest soil in your walk with Christ in the midst of your suffering, my friends. Not apart from it. We're not exempt from suffering. As a matter of fact, as you read your Bibles, you're going to be reminded again and again and again to gird up your loins because here it comes. And if you're trying to live your life for Jesus Christ, it won't be that you might face some persecution or you could face some persecution. What? You will face persecution. And if you're not ever getting any flack for your faith, maybe, just maybe, it's because they don't even know you are a Christian. So in our text here this morning, Peter is calling these Christians and us through them to not lose heart, but in fact, to glory as we look at our great salvation. He wants to remind them of where they were and where they are now and switch their perspective from, oh, I got a lot going on here on my plate today to, isn't our salvation wonderful? What a great God we have who loves us. The hope for this lesson is that we will again look at our salvation and have our joy restored even in the midst of various trials. But that leads to the big question. What is so great about our salvation? What is it? Well, according to 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 5, our salvation is so great that it should cause us to praise God for the living hope we have through Christ Jesus. Well, that's what we want to look at in our text this morning. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. I was going to bless our time together in his word. Heavenly Father, thank you, dear Lord, for this rich text here. Again, we're still just in the first opening verses, but it's so chock full of the good news. And Father, we're thankful for the richness of the gospel truth that we're reading here. And Father, I, I pray that as we, as we listen to the sermon today, as we walk through the text that we're going to walk through today, that as always, we wouldn't just be hearers of the word. We wouldn't just hear the sermon or read it in our eyes and think, boy, that person next to me really needs to hear this. But rather, first, we would apply it to ourselves and say, Father, what would you have me do with this? What is it that I am supposed to do? What should I glean from your text today so that I can apply it to my life in a way that brings you honor and glory? Father, that's our heart's desire here this morning. Father, we pray that you hear our prayers. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So let's look again at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Point number one in your notes, we praise God because of his great mercy in our salvation. We praise God because of his great mercy in our, in our salvation. Peter begins by reminding us to praise God specifically because of his great mercy. Now, what is mercy? Oftentimes, we, we get mercy and grace confused. 
Grace is when we get something we don't deserve. When God sheds his grace upon us, we definitely did not deserve that, did we? Did we? But mercy is uh, when, we re- when we don't get what we actually deserve, right? So let's talk about that for a second. Mercy, folks, mercy is focusing on how desperate the believer's condition was before Christ. And one of the reasons, or this is one of the reasons, we often lose the joy of our salvation. It's because we forget how helpless and futile our condition really was before Jesus Christ. We start to kind of take for granted and forget how helplessly, hopelessly lost we were before salvation. We need to stop and reflect for a minute about what salvation means. Salvation means that we, as image bearers of God, have rebelled against him in every possible way. What we deserve for sin, my friends, is God's eternal wrath. But God, who is rich in mercy, has delivered us from that wrath through the death of Jesus Christ on our behalf. My friends, if we're not saved, we're lost. And that means, according to Romans 1.18, that if we're lost, we're still under the wrath of God. For all those who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, they're under the wrath of God. And so were we before salvation. We are living a life, whether we recognize that or not under the wrath of God. One of our problems in evangelism today is that we try talking salvation with people who have no concept of how terrible it is to be lost. They think being lost is just, well, that's your view and I got my view. They don't understand the reality of what it means to be separated from God eternally. The other issue is is that we spend an inordinate amount of time reminding people who have forgotten the wrath of God and the consequences of being eternally lost into enduring trials in the Christian life. We've got kind of both sides. They simply have forgotten what God has done for them by saving them. What are some of the scriptures that remind us of how far away from God we were and how much mercy God has had give us had gave us in salvation. So let's just look at a few. So keep your your place in First Peter and turn to Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two, verses eleven and twelve. Ephesians two, verse eleven and twelve. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that. You were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having what? No hope and without God in this world. But it's actually even worse than that. If you go back a few verses to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, and you who were dead in your trespasses trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, you too formerly lived in the lust of your flesh, indulging in the desires of your flesh and the mind, and were by nature, what? 
children of wrath, even as the rest. What Paul reminds us here in Ephesians is, you may have been alive physically, but spiritually you were as dead as dead can be. And you thought you were walking around this world making your own decisions about your own destiny, and at the, on the entire time you were really a puppet on the strings of Satan. All he did was jiggle the string of your lust or your desire, and you responded, and so did I. That's how we lived our lives. We thought that we were in control, but really we were slaves to our unrighteousness. We thought it, and then we did it. We didn't, well, there was no thought in our mind about the consequences or the internal separation from God, or how offensive our sin might be. We didn't even thinking of those things. We just thought, I want this, or I like this, so I'll do this. But whatever controls you is what masters over you. And if your lust and your desires are controlling you, that really is your master, whether you think it is or not. Paul says we were dead in our transgressions. We were not physically dead, but spiritually dead. That means we couldn't have any fellowship with God. We had no interest in spiritual things or spiritual people. We try to read our Bible or worship, but it would mean nothing to us because we're so far from God. He says not only were we dead in our sins, but we were following this world and even the devil, who is the ruler of this world, and we lived to gratify the cravings of our sinful nature and were by uh, design, if you will, or by our choices, object of God's wrath. And the Christian who has forgotten the absolute hopeless condition they were in before salvation will lose the joy of their salvation. If you don't realize what the path that you were heading on and what it means to be eternally separated from God, then you'll forget the joy of being saved from that. Christian has forgotten the absolute hopeless condition they were in before salvation. They lose their joy of salvation. It is the reality of how bad our situation was that makes our salvation so great. Many have lost the joy of their salvation because they have forgotten just how much God has saved them from. So consequently, not only are they lacking the joy of salvation, but they're also prone to bitterness and complaining over things that happen in their lives. Sometimes they may even be prone to pride and become judgmental over everybody else's failures. And this happens because they forgot how bad their situation was and how merciful God was to them. It's good to remember that Paul, the Apostle Paul, still saw himself as chief of the sinners. Timothy 1. He didn't think he'd arrived. He remembered just how far away he was from God. Never lost sight of God's mercy and his salvation. He saw how far away from God's standard he really was, even as an apostle. It's a good reminder for us. Point number one, we praise God because of his great mercy in our, in our salvation. Point number two, we praise God for our salvation through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. 
we praise God for our salvation through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. God has graciously provided for us redemption through the sacrifice of his son. He loved us enough to allow his only begotten son to die in our place. To bear the wrath that we deserve. Jesus Christ, my friends, is the source of our hope. Through his atoning atoning work on the cross, we have been justified. We have been declared not guilty. That doesn't mean we weren't guilty. It means we've been declared not guilty. Why are we declared not guilty? Because Jesus Christ stepped in and paid the price for our sins. We are justified. We are declared not guilty. And through his resurrection, we have the hope of eternal life that awaits all who have placed their faith in him as their Lord and Savior. God knows that we're on a journey here in this life, and he's provided all we need to live a life that accomplishes his will and brings him glory. We would do well to remember the source of our hope. We serve the Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, our hope is not in those around us. Our hope is not in what political party wins the election. Our hope is not in all the governing policies. Our, our, our hope is not in the performance of our 401k. Our hope as believers, first and foremost, is in Jesus Christ. Yes, we pray for Christian values. Yes, we pray for Christian leaders. Yes, we pray for uh, the ability to be able to worship freely. We pray for the opportunity to live a life of quiet and dignity and serve our Lord and Savior. Yes, yes, yes. But our hope is in Christ ultimately, no matter what happens. When it appears that all hope has been removed, remember the source of our hope. It wasn't given to us by earthly means, and that means nothing we face in this life can diminish our hope. You didn't earn your hope. You didn't get your hope or maneuver your hope somehow. Your hope was given to you by faith in Christ and his atoning work on the cross. He gave his life on Calvary for the sin of the world. They placed his lifeless body in the tomb and rolled the stone in front of it. And for his followers, it appeared that hope was buried in that grave. But three days later, life emerged triumphant over death. Christ had faced the death. He had conquered it all along with the grave. Their hope wasn't in the one who had been. Their hope, my friends, was in the risen Lord Jesus Christ, who provides eternal life for all who come to him by faith. What comfort and joy that should give you today if you've trusted Christ as your Savior. You know, we have no way of knowing what we'll be asked to endure before this life is through. But I know that everything in physical in this world is just temporal. It's just, it doesn't last forever, my friends. And really, this life is a time of preparation for the eternal life to come. Death 
is certain for each of us if the Lord doesn't return for his church in the near future. And it's possible that some of us may even be called to give our lives for our faith. But regardless of the cause of death, I know I am secure in Christ Jesus my Lord. And nothing can change that. And if you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you should know that too. He came for triumphant over death, and through him I have the assurance of eternal life. And when I lay aside this body of flesh, whenever that may be, I will enter the glorious presence of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and there I will remain with him forever. Death is not final for the church. We have the promise of life in Christ, and he will come again calling for his church. 1 Thessalonians 4. The dead in Christ will rise first, then those who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be. So how do we live our lives? Titus 2, 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We live each day, beloved, looking for the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because our eyes are to be set on the things eternal, not just on the temporal things. Everything that the world values here today will one day fade away. But your hope is in something that never fades away. Your hope is in the living Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That should bring you great joy. We praise God because of his great mercy and our salvation. Point number two, we praise God for our salvation through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Look at verses 4 and 5, back in 1 Peter again. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Point number three. We praise God for our eternal inheritance that is secured by the power of God. We praise God for our eternal inheritance that is secured by the power of God. Now, what is Peter referring to when he talks about this inheritance? Well, he uses three adjectives to describe this inheritance. What are they? What do they mean? Well, notice the first one is imperishable. That means it's not able to be destroyed. It's not able to be destroyed. The inheritance that you have, nothing can destroy it. It is undefiled, which means it's not polluted. It's not tainted. And it's unfading, which means it's not subject to decay. It never rusts. It never becomes useless. What is this inheritance he's talking about? Well, first, God is keeping the inheritance of the believer in heaven. Did you notice that? And that's something to praise God for because in this life, any inheritance we receive here is temporary at best. Any inheritance we receive in this life is prone to be lost. But our inheritance in heaven, not the case. 
Look at Matthew chapter 6, just to remind you quickly. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he says this. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But, in contrast to that, store up yourself treasures where? In heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says, don't store up on the earth treasures on the earth because it's temporary, but store up in heaven because it's eternal. But what exactly is the inheritance of the believer? It's essentially everything that comes with Christ. Scripture calls Christians co-heirs with Christ. Everything that is Christ is ours. Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 17 is a reminder of this. Actually, I'll pick it up in verse 16, Romans 8, 16 and 17. The Spirit himself, that should be capitalized in your Bible, or the Holy Spirit, testifies with our spirit, lowercase, that's our spirit within us, that we are what? Children of God. We are children of God. And if children, then we are also heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Everything that is Christ is ours. That includes ruling the earth and the millennial kingdom and the eternal state, according to Revelation 20. It includes the beauties and riches of the new Jerusalem in Revelation 21. It includes the crowns and riches we'll receive for faithfulness on the earth, according to Revelation 4.4, and much, much more. But you know what the greatest part of our inheritance is? It's God himself. That's the best part of all that God will give us is that we will be in the presence of God forever. And that the things that you're battling now will fade away. No more death, no more disease, no more sickness, no more pain, no more suffering. You'll be in the very presence of God. He is our portion. He is our joy. And in heaven, we will have unhindered fellowship with him. Psalm 73, the psalmist says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I hope you believe that. I hope you trust in that. The saint should rejoice because of this inheritance that's waiting for him in heaven. And the chief part of that inheritance is God. He is our inheritance and our portion. Yes, we enjoy him here on earth, but in heaven, it'll be unhindered. However, not only do we praise God about our future aspects of salvation, but we praise him that we are being protected for it. Look at verse 5 again. Look what he says in 1 Peter 1, verse Five, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That word protected is a military word. It also means like guarded. It's guarded. See, another exciting aspect about our salvation and future inheritance is that God is guarding it for us. 
And as you could imagine, there are many of these persecuted Christians that were kept from their earthly inheritance because of the scattering or because it was taken by the Romans. Some had even died for their faith, and therefore they could not receive the inheritance of their fathers or grandfathers. However, the believer's inheritance is different, my friends. God is guarding it for us. And that teaches the doctrine of eternal security of the believer. If we are truly born again, we cannot lose our salvation. And we cannot lose it because God shields and protects the faith of every true believer. And they, we will never ultimately fall away from God because God keeps us. Well, how can you say that, Pastor? Where would I find that in the Bible? Well, turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 10. Gospel of John, chapter 10. Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give what kind of life to them? eternal life to them and they will never perish they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand my father who has given to them given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand i and the father are one what does he mean by this he means your security, your eternal security is cupped in the hands of God the Father and God the Son. And there is no greater power, my friends. There is nothing, no one, no power on earth or in heaven, anywhere that can snatch you or take you from them. Look at John chapter 6. Go back just a couple a couple. Chapters here, John chapter 6, verses 37 to 39. Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. If anything is certain in the lives of these early believers, it was uncertainty. They never knew the day, what each day would bring forth, or what type of struggles they would be called to, uh, to endure. But in the midst of all that uncertainty, Peter here is reminding them of their future and how secure it is. And matter of fact, it was so secure, it was unchangeable. They had been saved by the grace of God placed within the body of Christ and are secured for heaven. And they may not have realized it yet, but they were as good as there. And when their race on earth was complete, they would enter into the presence of the Lord. Now you might be asking, how does Christ keep the salvation of those God has given him? Let me just give you a couple ways through scripture in which he does that. First of all, he shields the faith of believers through prayer. 
We saw this with Peter when he was sifted by Satan in his denial. Do you remember that in Luke 22? Here's your reference, Luke 22:32. Christ said to him, But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Christ kept the faith of Peter when he stumbled in sin by praying for him. And the writer of Hebrews says this is a ministry Christ does for every believer. Look at what he says in Hebrews 7.25. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to what? Intercede for them. Christ is always praying for his saints, and he keeps their faith as he did with Peter. Secondly, Christ shields the faith of believers by limiting the trials they go through. Look at John chapter 18. John chapter 18 Remember, this is at the arrest of Christ. Therefore, he again asked them, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these go their way. To fulfill the word which he spoke of those whom you have given me, I lost no one. When the soldiers came to take Jesus, he protected his disciples from being taken and crucified. Why? John says so they would lose so that he would lose none of whom God had gave him. But Christ knew this trial was too big for them. He knew if they faced crucifixion for their faith at that point, their faith was not strong enough yet. He was shielding them, and he does that for every believer. He holds the temperature gauge on the trials of your life, my friends. And he knows when to crank it up and when to cool it down. And he's not doing that to toy with you. He's doing that to transform you more and more into the image of his son and to bring him glory. That's why he's doing that. He's doing that because he wants you to become more and more Christ-like as you prepare for eternity. He only lets you go through what you can handle. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has seized you, that word temptation in the Greek can mean either temptation or trial. No temptation or no trial has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted, or he will not let you have a trial beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted or when you're in the trial, he'll provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. One of the reasons we praise God for our salvation is because it is eternal. It cannot be lost because Christ is active and God is active in guarding it like a soldier. Listen, there's nobody better to guard your salvation than God. You can have ultimate confidence that Christ will lose none. And that's something we can praise God about. My friends, I hope your desire is to have God restore to you the joy of your salvation. Just the joy of it. God had mercy on us and did not give us what we deserve. He had mercy on us and delivered us from his eternal wrath. We should praise God for the new birth of our great salvation. He has caused us to be born again and given a new life where once we were dead as dead could be spiritually, now we're as alive as alive can be spiritually. The world does not have a living hope. And their hope is always in things that pass away. But you, 
my friends, have a hope, a living hope in Christ. The world's hope passes away at the grave. It passes away their degrees, their finances, their dream, their dreams, but that's not true of the believer's hope. Matter of fact, just the opposite. Because our hopes are eternal because of the resurrection in Christ. And that should bring you a great joy. That should be worthy of praise. We should praise God for the inheritance of our great salvation. An inheritance that's being reserved in heaven by God. In a world, in this world, all inheritances will ultimately lost will be lost, but not yours, my friends. Not yours. Thank you, Lord, that we have not received all the benefits of our salvation yet, but one day there will be no more sin and no more sickness and no more mourning and no more grief and no more persecution and no more death. Thank you, Lord, that you are protecting this for us. And believers should praise God for his protection over our great salvation and the fact that that inheritance is secure. And that should make you say, praise the Lord matter what's going on in your life right now. Keep your eyes on Jesus, my friends. Keep your eyes on your eternal inheritance and the living hope that you have in Christ. All the trials, all the suffering, all the different things, they're going to fade away. You're going to have some, they're going to seem insurmountable, and then they're going to go away. Then you're going to have others, and they're going to go away. But your faith as a believer is focused on he never changes. Your inheritance never gets corrupted, never fades away. It's imperishable. It cannot be destroyed. Keep your eyes on Jesus, my friends. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, again for your great truths here this morning. It's so difficult, Father, to live in a world where we hear just the opposite of what Peter told us today. But yet, Lord, that's why the world does not have hope and why they place their hope in things that are not, that are just temporary, Lord, that are not eternal. But praise be to God that our hope is in the living hope in Christ, and that our hope is eternal, never fading, undefiled, imperishable. I thank you, Lord, for that wonderful truth. And Father, you know the hearts and minds of all who are here today, and some are in the midst of trials. Some are in the midst of suffering. Some, Lord, are really facing a lot of uncertainty in their lives. But may they keep their eyes firmly focused on you. You are our living hope, Father. Thank you for that wonderful truth. Help us, Lord, to be reminded of that this week as we go and serve you. In Christ's name we pray.